0: Good morning. I love it when I can tell there's some people excited in the room to worship God. I love that. I love that. Now we're going to hear a word from God. Uh, We're in the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk has three chapters. For those of you that have been joining us through this series, I have a word for you. We're not in chapter one, we're not in chapter two, we're in chapter three. And uh, if you've been with us, hopefully you've been expecting something really good in Chapter 3. Teaching through this book, I've never taught through this book before in the Bible, uh, has been quite a journey for me. There's been some really uh, heavy stuff that we've walked through. um, A lot of response from this short series so far that many of you have reached out and just said how it's really spoken to you, it's impacted you, it's been powerful in your lives. And based on the content of this book, what that tells me is that there's a lot of people that are hurting but there's a lot of people that are walking through difficult things, painful things, hurtful things, um, and just being real about that. And, and uh, what we're looking at in the book of Habakkuk is how when we believe that God is good, that doesn't always mean that the things happening all around us are good. And sometimes there are bad things happening, but God's still good. And that's what we're kind of looking at. So let's talk about Habakkuk first, if you missed the first couple weeks, a little bit of backstory. Habakkuk was a prophet of God who lived, wrote, and prophesied about 600 B.C., so that's about 600 years before the birth of Christ, and uh, Habakkuk was different in the way that he ministered and prophesied. Most prophets in the Bible, they would get a message from God, and then they would speak to the people on behalf of God, but Habakkuk flips that on its head in this book, and you'll find that he's actually speaking to God on behalf of the people and sharing their agony and their anguish and and what they're going through with God. And so it's a little different. And essentially, in the first chapter, he's saying to God, God, this isn't fair. What I'm seeing happening in the world, in life, to our people right now, uh, doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem just. You know, we all believe that you're a good God, that you're a fair God, but what we're seeing with our eyes is not matching up with what we believe in our hearts. And they're questioning God, and they're just going through it. And uh, chapter one of the book of Habakkuk, Is what so many of us do Uh, he finds himself wondering why what he sees does not match up with what he believes about God why is it so often that we believe that God can do something we believe that God will do something but he doesn't always do what we believe or even want him to do that's just a fact of life why is it that that it doesn't always line up and and so Habakkuk is in that situation he finds himself wondering why is God not fair he doesn't seem fair And then chapter 2, which was last week, that's all about waiting, and we hate waiting. We're not patient beings. Uh, But the problem is, some things happen in God's time, and you can't rush God's time. And God's time is not our time. It's different from our time. And sometimes we want to rush him when it's just not his way. And um, so basically, God speaks to Habakkuk. I'm just reviewing to catch you guys up. And he says to Habakkuk that I'm about to do something amazing. In fact, it's so incredible that you would not believe it even if I told you what it was. So if I'm Habakkuk, I'm thinking, finally, God's going to come through. He's going to be fair. He's going to be just. All the good things are going to start to happen. We're going to be a blessed kingdom again. And God says, no, actually, I'm going to raise up your enemies, the Babylonians. They're going to come against you. It's about to get a lot worse for you. That's God's response. And Habakkuk's like, man, I was confused about you. Now I'm really confused. And so in chapter 2, he's waiting on the promise of God. When is the promise going to happen? When is the enemy going to rise up against us? When's the enemy going to get theirs also because they're worse than us? And some of you are in the waiting zone. God, why aren't you moving? Why aren't you answering my prayer? Why aren't you coming through? And the verse we looked at last week for that is, though it linger, wait for it. Okay? Don't give up. Don't just walk away because it's lingering. It's as though it linger, wait for it. Keep waiting because God is faithful and God is good. And his time's not your time. And when, when it is God's time for something to happen, there's nothing you can do to stop it. At the same time, when it's not God's time for something to happen, you can't rush him. He's God. So don't rush it. And we, talk, we gave a lot of examples of that last week here from our own church. Um, so chapter 3, there's a change of tone. And it's different. And I love it. So if you read all of chapter 1 and all of 2, all the way up to the last verse in chapter 2, which we ended on last week, he's basically saying, why, God, aren't you doing what I want you to do? And some of you are feeling that way. God, why aren't you answering my prayer? Why aren't you coming through? And in the very last verse, Habakkuk says this. He says, I'm confused. I'm doubting. He says, but the Lord. Somebody say, but the Lord. He says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. In other words, the king is still on his throne. Regardless of what's happening around me, regardless of the the dark valley I'm walking through right now and the pain I'm experiencing, God is still God and he's still on his throne. And nothing's going to change that. And then he says, let all the earth be silent before him. Hmm. It's a little bit like that psalm that says you just have to be still sometimes and know that he is God. Simple. So then chapter 3 suggests kind of a reset, kind of the change that some of you have been waiting for because chapter 1 and 2 were very heavy. So here comes chapter 3. Verse 1, by the way, is a verse that most people would just read over, including myself, because it's kind of an obscure verse. It doesn't really say much. Most of us just read over these weird words. Here's what it says. Verse 1, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. And then it says, on Shijanoth. Everybody say Shigionoth. Say it again. I need you guys to help me out. Don't be qui- I'm not in a quiet mood today. I've had three of these, so just Shijinoth. Shijinoth. You did not just cuss in church. I want to ease your fears. So what does shijinoth mean? (laughs) I had no idea. So let me answer the question though because I did a lot of research on it. Shijinoth is the plural of shijin. So now that we have that figured out we can move on. So no. Shijin is a word that's actually only used once in the entire Bible. It's used in Psalm 7. And then shijinoth is also only used once, and it's used right here in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1. And these words, we don't know a whole lot about them, but scholars have studied them enough in the Jew- Jewish language and the Hebrew language and all that stuff to, re- to understand. These were actually musical terms. These were instructions to a congregation about how to sing the following song. And that's why you see those types of words a lot in the Psalms, because it's an instruction of, don't just read these words and sing in these words. Let me tell you how to read them and how to sing them, and that adds a lot of meaning to it when you understand that. And so, shijanoth—it's a musical term. So it would be like if I got up here and said, "Okay, for this next worship song, I want you guys to sing it like a love song to God. That's how you need to sing it, okay? And then this next song, I want you to sing it with kind of a kind of a bluesy flair, okay?" And, and then this next one, I want you to sing it with some hip-hop passion instead of like a dead person. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to give you, instru- this next one, I want you to do the floss while you're singing it. You know, I can't do the floss, but with God all things are possible. Um, so let me tell you what shijinoth means. It's in your notes there. You can read along. It means this, to sing with strong emotion, hmm. with impassioned exuberance. It means wild, passionate singing with rapid changes of rhythm. Look at that. Even in the Old Testament, they were encouraging rhythmic music, not just slow stuff, right? It means high-spirited praise, vigorous enthusiasm. One book I was reading on the subject said, it's not a whiny, cry your beer ballad. <laughs> so if you're like, man, I just want to cry in my beer to a country song, that's not what this is. This is different. Uh, I pulled up an article that said, and I quote, it is praise punctuated with exclamation marks. (laughs) Yeah, I like that. Like that. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah. That's so good. My help in the front row. So it's praise, but it's praise with exclamation marks. For example, I got a text from somebody this week, and it said, Jared, I just want to let you know that the message last week really hit me in a big way and really spoke to me and impacted my life and had six exclamation marks at the end. I count them. And you know, somebody that understands the English language and how to write, you know that you only need one. Like it doesn't really formally add anything else. But the fact is when you're communicating, if you add more, it communicates to the receiver more excitement, more emphasis, more passion, more excitement about whatever it is you're saying. You know, I mean, that's just a little casual tip for some of you that haven't learned that yet. When you're sending a text message, an email, like casually, not formal. You don't want to do that in formal writing. But if you add exclamation marks, it actually changes the tone of what you're saying. When you end every line with a period, there's no emotion when the person reads it. And so that's kind of what this is saying. And so what I want you to understand about Habakkuk chapter 3 is he is doing this full body, all in, exuberant worship to God before God did what he wanted him to do by the way, you know how sometimes it's like, oh, thank you, God, for what you just did. Thank you, I'm so blessed. Oh, thank you that I paid all my bills. Thank you that man, everything's going great in my life. Thank you. That's not what this is. This is passionate worship of God because of who he is, not based on anything that he's done for you yet. That's powerful. That's powerful. In other words, it's not for what you've done. It's not for what I think you might do. This is just praise for who you are, your character, your nature, who I know you to be and it's all for your glory. It's Shijanoth. It's praise before anything even happens, before the prayer request is answered. And so in verse two, we see Habakkuk says this about God. He says, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. And then he says, repeat them. Somebody say, repeat them. He says, do it again, God. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, God. In other words, I know judgment's coming, but remember mercy so God, do it again. I've seen You do it before, God. I want You to do it again. You know that song that we sing here often that has those words, and I was going to have Justin come up here and sing it, but he's battling a cold, so you're going to have to hear it from me. No, I'm not going to sing it. That would be horrible. But the words go, I've seen You move, God. You move the mountains. And I believe You'll do it again. Right? You know that song? You made a way where there was no way. And I believe we'll see you do it again. It's a powerful song. And God's, I've, God, I've seen you at work. I've seen you move. I've seen you act. Would you do it again? But God, I'm praising you, not even for what you're going to do, but before you've even done it, I'm praising you, not knowing the outcome, simply because of who you are. So what do you do when life gets hard, <laughs> when it gets difficult? The first week we talked about how sometimes you experience the goodness of God. You're on a high right like i said everything's going well you have financial provision everybody in your family's healthy relationships are going well everything's going well you're just on this mountaintop you're on you're on this high everything's going so well and it's so easy to enjoy god and praise god and you're saying i love you god and you're singing passionately and and you know god you answer all my prayers and you're awesome and i feel you but then something bad happens you lose your job you fight with your spouse Your kid goes in the wrong direction. You get a bad medical report. Something bad happens and the average person, unfortunately, responds in one of two ways, I've noticed. If they're not going to live by faith, they do one of two things. And we talked about this in week one. Let me give you a review. One thing that they'll do is they'll just completely deny that it's even happening because I just want to stay up here on the mountaintop. Nothing bad ever happens because God's good and nothing bad ever happens. I'm going to deny it. I'm not going to look it in the face. I'm going to pretend nothing bad's happening because I just want to stay up here on the peak. So I'm just in denial, and I'm not going to speak it because then that means it's happening, and I'm speaking it into existence and all that. It's still happening sometimes, guys, and sometimes the worst thing you can do is deny that the bad's happening. Sometimes you need to look it right in the eye and admit that it's happening, but then the other path that some people go down, I've noticed, is when the bad happens, they're praising God, everything's good, but then the bad happens, and they do the worst thing they could ever do in their life, and it's a tragedy, is they say, well, what they told me about God isn't true because look at all the junk happening around me look at all the pain, look at the suffering that this person went through and that I'm going through, so they walk away from God and pretend he doesn't exist. Or they walk away from the church, or they do this, or they do that. And that's, the, that's a tragedy. Because the church is supposed to be made up of the people of God who are being real and raw and honest and suffering together because we live on a broken planet. There's nothing in here that says this world is whole. There's nothing in here that says that you're going to walk through this world without hardship and trouble and struggle and sacrifice that's not in there it does promise he'll walk through with it through you though he'll walk through it with you that's a promise and so those are the wrong answers we talked about in week one because what happens is a lot of people end up having a crisis of belief well what i see happening is not lining up with what i believe or what i've been told about the goodness of god and so he must not be real and they walk away from the only thing that can ever save them so what do you do when what you see with your eyes is different from what you believe in your heart? when you find yourself in a valley? What do you do when you're crying out to God and you believe that he's going to hear your prayer, that he'll move in a way that that brings relief and brings blessing and and heals and makes you whole again, and yet he doesn't in the way that you expect him to? So let's talk about two things that we find in chapter 3. The first thing is we're going to remember. We're going to remember. So verse 3 says this. Habakkuk says, God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens, and his praise filled the earth. And you know, he talks about these two places that most of us have never heard of. And when you read about these obscure places in the Bible, your first instinct is to just read over them because, oh, they don't matter. They're places I've never heard of, I'll never be, been to. They're obviously just locations that really existed back then, and, and so, but there's no meaning in them. But that's not okay because you need to understand, if you know what these two places were, then you would know that Habakkuk is speaking right now in a way that's more meaningful than you can imagine. He's speaking from a place of remembrance of what God did for him and his people because those places he just mentioned are the two places that the people of God ended up going for refuge. God took them there right after they were freed from Egyptian bondage. Right after they were freed from slavery, they got to go to these two places for refuge. So what Habakkuk is actually saying here, he's saying, God, I'm remembering when we didn't think there was any way. I'm remembering when your people didn't believe that you were going to come through and do this, when we felt like there was no hope and you freed us anyway. I'm remembering that. I'm remembering when you freed us and you changed Pharaoh's heart and you split open the Red Sea and caused us to walk through on dry ground. I'm remembering back when our enemies were pursuing us and you destroyed them instead of letting them catch us. I'm remembering you know, when, uh, when you were faithful and I'm remembering your goodness and God, I know you can do it again. So then verses 4, 5, and 6, Habakkuk says this of God. He says, his splendor was like the sunrise. He's remembering back. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. What did God do? He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nation tremble. He said, God, I remember your faithfulness. I remember your goodness. I remember your justice. I remember that you're fair in your presence. I remember that you were glorified through what you did through it all? And then we don't have time to dig into the next few verses, but just a summary, if you read through verses 7 through 15, this is kind of what Habakkuk does. He's just remembering these moments. He's remembering back to the goodness and the faithfulness of God. And so he's remembering some things that happened to him and some things that perhaps happened to the people that he's leading. So he could have said, you know, God, I remember when you provided for the people manna from heaven to feed them when they were hungry and then the birds delivered the food and then I remember when water came from the rocks when they were thirsty I remember when the lion's mouth was shut so it couldn't harm them and when the three children were thrown into the furnace and they came out not even smelling like smoke I remember that I remember your faithfulness and your goodness that happened in the past God I remember when you raised the dead I remember when you spoke the dry bones and they came to life See, sometimes when you're in the valley, you just simply have to remember the goodness and the faithfulness of God that you've already seen. Even if you're not seeing it right there, you can remember the times you did. And this word we don't talk about enough. It's, it's so often repeated in the scriptures that we really should talk about remembering every week. It's mentioned that often. We're instructed to remember, remember, remember. It's that important. It's because God knows you're not going to make it through the valley without remembering. You have to remember. You know, I think back, to times when I was questioning God in different seasons. And I remember a moment in college where, <laughs> where my sin had caught up to me. You've been there? <laughs> and I just felt kind of broken and, and like this is not where I'm supposed to be. This, this is not what I grew up believing that, that somebody following God, their life should look like. This is like not, there, there's, no ref, there's no reflection of Jesus in the way I'm living my life. And I just kind of realized that and I didn't really know what to do and I felt like God was not speaking to me anymore and I couldn't hear his voice anymore and it was just this dark place for me. And then I remember this moment where I listened to this pastor preaching from the Word of God and you know those moments where it was like undeniable that God was speaking directly through him right to my ears. This guy didn't know me, I never met him before, but guys I'm telling you, the exact sins the exact verses, the exact words that I needed to hear for the exact situation that I was going through in that exact moment. And it just pierced my heart. And I remember that time God spoke to me so clearly and so vividly. Sometimes you just need to remember the vividness of God. You know, I remember dating and waiting for the one that I would eventually marry and wishing God would hurry up because I've been waiting a while. And, you know, it's like, send her now, God. And I remember dating all these girls. And they were really nice, but not one of them like, encouraged me to be the man of God that I knew I needed to be. Not one of them helped me to be a better man. Not one of them really was the one who was going to help me be on the path that I needed to be on to truly follow Jesus with my life. And I hadn't realized yet at that point in my life that if I'm constantly in the wrong relationship, because I've always got to be in a relationship, I can't be without a relationship, that God knew I wasn't ready yet for the right one. And finally, much later in my life than most of my friends... I met Amy Halderman, who's now Amy McClintick, and she was weird just like me, but in all the right ways. And God gave me my best friend, my prized person, my, my dessert. Because, you know, the best dessert takes the longest to cook. And so I had to wait longer for her to arrive. And I had to realize that, yeah, I was spending all my time pursuing the wrong ones because I always felt like I had to be dating somebody to the point where what's God going to do? Like he can't give me somebody when I'm already with somebody. That's not how it works. And so I just have to look back sometimes and remember that. I remember one time early in our marriage, I may have told this story before, but when we first started the church, there was like 30 of us in the church. And, uh, you know, there was no ability to be paid as a pastor. And so I was working jobs on the side just to survive. And, and we were married and struggling a little bit. And I remember one month we were exactly ninety-seven dollars short on our bills that month. And we were praying and trying to figure out what to do. And that that same night, guys, a couple from the church knocks on the door and they said, Hey, we don't know what's going on, but God told us to give you this, so here you go. And they left. We opened it up and it was a hundred dollar bill. We paid our bills, we had three dollars left to go to Taco Bell that night. It was amazing. <laughs> it was glorious. You know, but you remember those moments where it's like, the timing, guys, and some of you can shout coincidence all you want. I don't believe that. That's ridiculous. There's too many of them in my life to be coincidences. I'm not going to go too detailed on this because it's still very personal to me and my family, but I remember several years back getting a a certain diagnosis for my son and just throwing us off a little bit because it wasn't our plan A for how we were going to do some things. It was a plan B for us. And I had to just kind of look at it and say, you know what? Just because something is happening in our life that's not exactly the way that we dreamed and planned for it to be does not mean that it's going to be bad. And even if it is bad, I'm still going to choose to trust God through it. And I'm still going to believe that he's good. And I've wrestled with God over this. We've wrestled. We had wrestling moments in our family where we wrestled with God. But you know what? We still believe he's good all the way through it. And we chose to look the situation that some would say is bad in the face and stare it down and say, you know what, we're going to acknowledge this and take all the solutions and help that God is throwing our way to to help and fix it. And you know, so many miracles have happened since then in our son's life to the point where he's so far beyond anybody that I know who has come into the similar situation that's denied it was happening to their child. And because we embraced rather than deny and ignore, looked it in the face and kept walking with God through it, even though it was hard and we wrestled through it. And sometimes you just have to look back through life and remember the goodness and the faithfulness of God. So what do you do? You remember. And then the second thing, let me tell you what not to do because I hear this word a lot. Don't just endure. Okay, because you you hear that some, man, I'm going through a difficult time right now, but I'm enduring. I'm going to endure, you know, and get through it. Enduring is a passive word that means something's happening to you and you're just going to hang on until you get through it. That's enduring. What I'd rather see everybody do is embrace. Not just embrace God as you go through it, but even sometimes, and this is going to be hard for some of you to hear because it's really hard to do, even sometimes embrace the difficult situation. And that's hard. In other words, we don't just embrace God as we're walking through a valley. Sometimes we embrace the valley and what he might be doing while we're in the valley, okay? So if you think about Habakkuk in this situation, he felt like the enemy, the Babylonians, were winning. And you know what? Really, they were. They were winning. And he looked and he recognized, you know, this is bad. Um, According to God, even, it's going to get worse. But he embraced the situation, and with everything in him, he still declared God is still on the throne. God is still the king who reigns, and he'll reign forever, and he's still faithful, and he's still good. And what I love about this is he's not in this sort of thing we all do where he goes into a state of denial and just pretends like the bad thing isn't happening. He doesn't do that. You know, this is actually looking the bad news square in the face and still declaring, I trust my God with everything in me. This is looking the bad thing right in the face and saying, my God's bigger than you and I continue to embrace his goodness. So watch as Habakkuk does this exact thing in verse 16. So he says, I heard, and my heart pounded. Okay, I want you to feel this like he means it. Because this is not my heart pounded like I saw a cute girl and I love the way she smells and the way she flips her hair. Okay, this is my heart pounded like I just heard some horrible news and I'm scared to death. That's what he's saying. So I want you to feel that as he says it. I heard, and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound, decay crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. God just told me he's going to raise up the Babylonians and come against the people that I love with the enemy. He says, yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. He says it's bad, it's going to get worse, it's going to be brutal, there's going to be tremendous suffering. But then he says this, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, these are bad situations, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, you might say it this way, though I'm still praying and God hasn't answered my prayer, though I still want healing for my loved one and they're still sick, Though I ask for his provision or for a new job, but it hasn't come yet. Though I pray for a solid, thriving, healthy marriage, but it's still not happening yet. Though I lost something that I never thought I would lose. Though I wanted to have a great year, but this was the worst year I've ever walked through. Whatever it is you're saying, if you heard my story last week, though I'm praying for my friend to be healed, but he's still not healed from his pain. Habakkuk says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. In other words, there's dozens of reasons why I might not rejoice. Maybe there's more than dozens. But this is not a half-hearted song to God. This is shijanoth. This is full body, full soul, everything within me declaring the praise and the goodness of the glory of God. That's what that word means. Even though I do not see what I want to see. Before the prayer is answered, What's he doing? He's wrestling and he's embracing at the same time. This isn't a half-hearted partial declaration to God. This comes from the depths of his soul. This is a faith that worships even when things are not right. This is a faith that praises even when there's problems right in front of your eyes. This is a faith that gives God praise even when you don't see the results yet. This is a cry from the depths of your heart believing in the goodness of God even when you're walking through something painful. This is chapter 3. It's the praise before the provision. This is praise with exclamation points. Not for what God might do, but for who He is. What does Habakkuk mean? Do you remember week one? His name literally means to wrestle and embrace. And it's okay to do both at the same time. In fact, you need to do both at the same time. God, I'm wrestling. I don't understand. I don't like this. It's okay to say that to God. Did you know that? But yet I embrace you. And I trust you. You know, when, when my daughter Evie was less than a year old, I was home alone with her one day, and she walks over to the fireplace, and I wasn't even thinking, and she plants her hand right on the glass. And the blood-curdling scream that came out of her was like nothing I've ever heard of, and I still have PTSD over it. (laughs) And I remember rushing over to her and scooping her up in my arms and looking down at her little hand, not even a minute later, Her hand's twice as big. It's bright red. There's huge bubbles all over it. I thought I permanently damaged my precious little girl's hand. And I'm home alone, and I'm freaking out, and I get Amy on the phone, and she's five minutes away having coffee with a friend. She's like, put it in ice. I'm coming home. I'll be right there. I'll be there in five minutes. We'll take her to urgent care or ER or whatever we need to do. I could barely get the words out to even explain to my wife what was happening. But she rushes home, and let me tell you that five minutes between that moment and when my wife got home felt like five hours. Because my my child in my arms is screaming her head off and crying her eyes out in pain, not knowing what's happening, not understanding, super confused. I rush her into the kitchen. I push her hand down into some ice to try to give her some relief. And I remember it like it was yesterday because while I'm holding her hand in the ice, she's looking up at me. She's less than one years old. She's making eye contact with me and crying out to me and screaming. And she couldn't use words yet, but I can translate. <laughs> because exactly what was going through her mind was, Daddy, no, no, stop doing this to me. No, no, why are you doing this to my hand? It hurts more. Why? No, no, no. Can't we just go play? Why is this happening? No, no, this isn't fair. Why are you part of this? Why are you holding my hand in this ice? Trying to wrench your hand out of it while I'm holding it in. That eye contact was brutal. But you know, the whole time, I'm trying to paint a picture here for you, the whole time that she was locked on my eyes and crying out, Why? Why, Dad? Why? She was also embracing me so hard on my other arm that you could still see the marks two hours later. She wasn't letting go. She didn't quit. She didn't walk away. But through the pain and through the agony, she was able to wrestle with, why are you a part of this? (laughs) at the same time as not letting go of her father who she knows loves her. And this morning we sang that song, Yes I Will, and I was getting choked up the whole time because those words are exactly what we're talking about today. And here's some of the lyrics from that song that we sang. Let me just read them to you straight. And, and I want to tell you, you're going to have another chance to sing this song as we close today. But this time you're not going to sing it half-hearted. This time you're going to sing it shiganoth. This time you're going to lift your hands and sing this song while still in the valley, some of you. This time you're going to lift your hands and sing that song even when you haven't seen the prayer answered yet. Not based on what he may do for you, but based simply on who he is. And you're going to sing it with everything in you. So listen to the tension. Listen to the the embracing while wrestling at the same time. Here's what the song says. It says, yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Not once I get to the mountaintop. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy. Not once you take the weight off while it's still heavy. Chapter 1, don't quit on God. Chapter 2, sometimes you're going to have to wait on God, and his timing ain't your timing. And I want to point this out too. Habakkuk is not just like resolving to make a bad situation okay or to make it better. That's not what he's doing here. This is so much deeper than that, guys. I'm not telling you to look at your bad situations and resolve to make them better. That's not what I'm telling you. That's not what he did. What he does is he looks the truth of the bad situation, though, right in the face. He stares it down, he locks eyes with it, and he says, this isn't good. He says, and you know what, it might even get worse. In fact, it's going to. There's no grapes coming, there's no blossoms coming, there's no olive oil coming. There's only bad things. But he says, the Lord is still in his temple, so he's still worthy of praise. And so here's what I want you to see. Never once does God tell Habakkuk, this is the end of the book, okay? The end of Habakkuk. Never once does he tell Habakkuk, it's all going to be okay. I want to throw that out there. And some of you don't want to hear that. But that's how the book ends. This is not a feel-good sermon. This is a real sermon. This is not a sermon that preaches well and makes everybody in the room want to come back next week. But we preach the whole Bible here, even the hard parts. And Habakkuk is hard. So, I want you to see the very last verse in the book as it ends. What do you do when you're waiting? What do you do when you're walking through the valley when it seems like God's not coming through? The last verse in chapter 3 says this, The sovereign Lord is my strength. Habakkuk says, He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. What does God do? He enables me to tread on the heights. In other words, He takes me to a more intimate place. He takes me to a greater faith. He takes me to a new place. I've talked with a few people this week about this concept. Shoot, I've talked to quite a few of you over the years about this topic because it rings true for most people I know who truly walk with God. I love to praise God on the mountaintops. I love to be on the mountaintops. I've been through a lot of mountaintops, over and back down. (laughs) We see mountaintops all the time in the lives of the people here in this room, in this church. We've seen miracles. We've seen people healed of stage four cancer. We've seen over 200 people baptized here in the last few years. We've been on the mountaintops, okay? Been on the mountaintops in my own marriage, in my own family, in my own jobs and relationships, all that stuff. I've been on the mountaintops many times. I enjoy God on the mountaintops. I love to praise Him and worship Him on the mountaintops. But you know where I get to know Him intimately, deeply and personally is in the valleys. I love to shout from the mountaintops and brag about him and all that he's done and share it as evidence to all of you of his goodness, and we do that around here. But where I've gotten to really know him intimately where I have a deep relationship with the God who created the universe through Jesus Christ, it's in the valleys. And when you start to have that perspective on God, you can kind of get to that point where you can actually do what James says to do in James chapter 1 where he says, I consider it pure joy. What? I can tell you factually, not every time still, guys, but there are moments where I'm literally walking through a dark, painful place and I actually have experienced joy in those places. And it's bizarre and it's wonderful. But if you change your perspective and you keep working on it, you can get to this place where I consider it pure joy. Whenever I don't understand, whenever things don't make sense, he says, whenever I face trials of many kinds, because I know that these trials, these hardships, these difficult things, these pains, he says they develop perseverance. They strengthen you. And perseverance must finish its work so that I may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. See, it's required. You can't grow without it. And I don't know all the specific situations, everything that's happening, but... I think there's people in the room that it's time to praise God even when you don't see it. And it's time to lift Him high and worship and bless His name even before He comes through in the way you think He should. To praise Him and cry out to Him in adoration. To exalt Him. Not just for what He's done or may do, but for simply who He is. Because He's still on the throne. From everything inside of you. And so what I want you to understand is you cannot have chapter 3 type of intimacy with God without chapter 1, confusion, and chapter 2, waiting. You can't have it. You've got to go through it all. There's something God does in us in the valleys. It's a, it's a trust-building process. It's a passion. It's a faith-building thing. So what do you do when you're in the valley? You remember the goodness and the faithfulness of God, and you embrace all the way through it. You don't walk away. You keep embracing even when you're wrestling, even when you're struggling, you continue to embrace all the way through it. So as winner, just a quick time of prayer today, I just want God to do what only He can do. And so those of you in the room who you're in chapter 1 or you're in chapter 2, and you're in this valley, you're in this place where you're struggling, I don't know what it is, it's different for everybody. But today I just want to pray for you. So if it's, if it's a medical diagnosis, if it's financial, if it's relational, if it's a marriage thing or just some kind of valley or dark place that you're walking through and you just need the strength to trust God, I just want to pray for You. So Father, would You do what only You can do? God, while we are waiting, we choose to praise even though we're hurting, God. God, give us the faith to praise You even when we don't see the provision. God, not just for what You may do, but for who You are. And God, I firmly believe that there's people in this very room who need to hear this. God, would You give them the permission to wrestle with You? I know there's people in this room who think, I can't can't wrestle with God and, and cry out to God or disagree with God. Let them know You're big enough to handle it. God, there's so many... Examples of wrestling through stuff with you in the Bible. and God, the key is to not wrestle with you by walking away or quitting or giving up, but the key is to wrestle with you while embracing at the same time. So God, would you give us the strength to do that, to cry out, to, to even acknowledge our doubts, but at the same time to never let go because you'll never let go of us and you'll never forsake us. That's your promise. Would you guys stand with me real quick? I don't know if you're ready or not. I hope you're ready. I know some of you are. I hope you'll get ready, but I. I guess I just kind of want to know is anybody ready to lift their hands right now like before the music even begins. By the way, hand raising is not some spooky weird thing that some church invented. It's all throughout the scriptures, just so you know. I want to throw that out there. It's a sign of surrender. It's a sign of God, I receive what you have for me. God, I I give myself to you. I I submit myself to you. I guess I just wonder, is there anybody in the room who's ready to praise him before the provision? To lift him high, even if you're walking through what seems like the lowest valley. To give him all the glory, even if you're on the ground floor of that valley. To trust him and just to say you are good and you are faithful and I remember and I embrace, no matter what I'm walking through. I've said it three different ways. The correct way is (laughs) shijanoth, shijanoth, with vigorous exuberance, with passion with all of yourself.